Hello, you found Dogmatically Imperfect Condensed Imperfection, a condensed version of Season 1 episodes in a more digestible time frame. Today's session, The Redacted Ungodly Scriptures. Last session, we looked at the pattern of the early church. And what pattern is that? We were, thought, we were talking about, you know, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, and dot, dot, dot. Well, we know what the next number is, right? It's 11. And then it's 15, or 13, then 15. We know what it is. But we stopped at 9, right? And we're like, okay, that's it. There's no more to the pattern. Of course there is. And they were shedding Antichrist dogmas embedded in their religious understanding. They dismissed the authority of the written word in favor of the authority of the living word. And this happened as a result of the Gentiles being included in what God was doing, found in Acts chapter 10 and beyond. And, you know, when you get right down to it, I was thinking about this uh, the other day, and Judaism is a religion with its fundamental core being the advancement of Israel through adherence to God's commands. And what do I mean by that? Okay, so the core, the root the, the reason that we have Judaism, right, or, or that Judaism is, is exist, is to advance the nation of Israel as Israel follows the commands of God. And this dates back to Abraham and Moses and, you know, all the way back. Think about it. We have a couple different things going on here. It's a religion with an earthly kingdom focus based on following the commands of God. Does that make sense? So as, as this people group follows the commands of God, God advances the earthly kingdom. And when Israel thinks about the Messiah, especially in biblical times, they're looking for the one who will take the mantle from Moses and Joshua and David and etc., Solomon, all these people, and he will continue that. And during the ministry of Jesus, the disciples were consumed with the idea of King Jesus I have some scripture references I want to go over. This is how, uh, and, and you guys can turn there quickly if you want to. If not, you don't have to. I'm just going to refer to them real quick. Okay, Matthew 18, and where am I at? Verses 1 through 3. And at the time, the disciples came to Jesus. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Um, and then, let me see, let me go down to Mark chapter 9. Verses 33 through 35. Uh, and then he came to Capernaum, speaking about Jesus, and when he was in the house, he asked them, meaning the disciples, was, what is it you disputed amongst yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. <laughs> the disciples were like, I don't want to tell them. You tell them. No, I'm not going to tell them. You tell them. No, no, no. Uh, they kept silent. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said, look, okay, guys, if anyone desires to be first, you're going to have to be last and last of all and the servant of all. In the very next chapter, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Now, uh, what I'm trying to illustrate is uh, the disciples, really all of Israel, but including the disciples were, were um, kingdom, 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 earthly kingdom, earthly kingdom, earthly kingdom, right? Hey, we're going to restore the kingdom, restore the kingdom, restore the kingdom. And, and then and they're disputing who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. I want to be greatest in the kingdom. No, 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 I'm greatest in the kingdom. No, 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 I'm greatest. In, and they were disputing amongst themselves all the time. And Jesus like, what were you guys talking about? No, 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 it's nothing, Lord. We, we, we don't want to say. <laughs> and of course he knew, and that's why he did the thing. So anyway, but one chapter later after Jesus, and remember, um, 
This is after the transfiguration. So I I mean, I don't want to we didn't talk about that already, but a couple weeks ago we were talking about the transfiguration and when Peter when 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 the disciples see the power of God, they want to position themselves to be right there and included in that. And here we see it again in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, and these are the two that wanted to call down fire, right? James and John were like, hey, let's call down fire. And Jesus is like, you don't know what spirit you're up. Okay. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Hey, uh, do something for us, whatever we want, but I'm not going to tell you what it is first. And then he was like, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> verse 36. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. And when the other ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. So now here comes our dispute again, right? Because they're talking about this earthly kingdom. They, they have this mindset of the earthly kingdom. And they're like, man, they're upset. Man, look at him over there position. He said, yeah, oh. Man, I wanted to do that. Now they went over and did that. I got to go do it now too. Right now they're going to try to figure out how they can maneuver. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Verse 43, But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be the last. So, uh, it's interesting. The disciples are very earthly kingdom oriented because that is what they've grown up in. And they were like, look, if the Romans can conquer the world with a human Caesar, surely Israel can take their rightful place of authority with Messiah as king. I mean, we're talking about a man who walks on water. We're talking about, who, about a man who opens blind eyes and raises people from the dead and a man who commands angels and the weather. I mean, we're, I think about X-Men, right? You have all the different X-Men wrapped up in one person. You got the, the weather person. You got, the, you got all the people, right? The mind control people, the casting out demons, all the stuff, right? All the stuff. And remember when the Egyptian army tried to follow the Israelites across the Red Sea and swallowed up the entire army, right? Remember the walls of Jericho came falling down because they walked around seven seven times and on the seventh time they shouted and, and the walls came tumbling and then they went in and destroyed everybody, right? The Romans are no match for God and the Messiah, so the disciples were constantly in mental preparation, setting up for an earthly kingdom. And in our early sessions, we see in Acts chapter 1, and let's just go there, that Jesus is getting ready to ascend, Acts chapter 1, and verse 6. Well, let me back up to verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is trying to prep him for what's coming on. Because he's about to leave. He's about to ascend into heaven. But where is the mindset of the disciples? Verse 6. 
Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Listen what they're asking. The earthly kingdom of Israel. Are we going to kick butt now? Are we going to, are we ready to do this? I mean, you've done everything. Now they killed you and you rose from the dead. <laughs> and he said to him, not to you to know the times and seasons, which the father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive, he ignores the question, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And let's just marvel at this for a second about the ascension. Okay. I mean, we think about, oh yeah, okay, he ascended. But let's just marvel at it for a second. We, it wasn't until like the 1960s, right? Where, where in the Super Bowl, the guy came in with a jetpack, right? And he landed on, on the 50 yard line or whatever before the Super Bowl and everybody was going wild nuts and, ah, you know, space age type stuff. Um, that was, I mean, I suppose they had been testing it prior to that, but this is the first time that people had seen anybody come. I mean, it's incredible jetpack stuff, right? We think about when we go to, um, like a birthday or a funeral or a wedding or something like that. And we have those balloons and in celebration or honor of the, of the, whatever we're, the ceremony is we release the balloons, right? And we're looking at them and, and we see them, they, they do this little thing and then they get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as they continue to go up and up and up and up and up. And eventually they, they disappear and we're like, yeah, that's a thing. Um, Jesus just became a, a balloon and, you know, floated up in the air until he was gone in the clouds. And they're like stunned. They're stunned. And they're still thinking about this earthly kingdom. And Jesus ignores the question and says, hey, look, go to the upper room. And there you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you in everything that's going to take place. And so... But he didn't tell him, look, we're not doing an earthly kingdom. He didn't say that in the moment. So it didn't get displaced out of their mind. And Jesus knew that there was nothing really that he could say in that moment that would dissuade them from the idea of an earthly kingdom. So this is how ingrained it is. And last week we saw in chapter 15 of Acts... That James, in verse 15 through 17, let's just go there again real quick. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, and you can back up to 13. And after they become silent, James answered. He's the head of the church. And this is James's, James is Jesus' half-brother now, not uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee. And G James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared, meaning Peter, he's declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. So, James is thinking he's going to carve out some of the Gentiles so that they can be a, a part of Israel. And with them, uh, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So again, we're looking at James trying to fit the thing that happened in with the written word. 
After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So we see that James is trying to fit this idea of the earthly kingdom in with what's happening. He's looking to rebuild the tabernacle of David and the Gentiles will be called by the name of by the name of God. And although they were dismissing elements of the written word, they didn't change the focus of the core of Judaism. And this hindered their ability to dismiss the other antichrist ideas. So while they did this, they 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 set a precedent in Acts chapter 15. Now, they didn't exactly make it their default pattern for the church. In fact, Paul, uh, uh, save for Paul, the church had a difficult time shedding Antichrist doctrine. They were very focused on remaining pure uh, to remain qualified, not to mention awaiting the return of Jesus for the setting up of the earthly kingdom. And they saw him uh, ascend, and the, and the angel said, hey, look, in the same way that you saw him leave, he will depart. And uh, so they want to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. And much of the New Testament revolves around these two key themes, setting up the earthly kingdom and refraining from sin to avoid exclusion in the kingdom. And everything is set in an in and out type framework, right? The default is out. There's a qualification for getting in. And once you're in, there are standards for remaining in. Otherwise, you're out again. It's very much, much rooted in the us-them concept. And it's important to keep in mind that James, the half-brother of Jesus, and the Jerusalem church was the official church authority. Paul was much less interested in the institution of the church. He was focused on how to integrate many different Gentile cultures and traditions under the umbrella of grace, which is much less rule-oriented and is more freedom-based. Now, This is the opposite of an institution. However, once Paul was gone, the institution remained and was able to integrate much of what Paul advocated while redacting, right? You get the little pen and, and you scratch it out. Oh, let me redact this. So look, I'm going to redact this verse. I had some other verses that I was going to show uh, about the earth of kingdom, like Luke chapter 9. Well, I can't tell you. And Luke, there was another one in Luke, but I don't know what they are because I just redacted them. I'm going to redact them. So we didn't actually go over these scriptures. Okay. We didn't go over the scriptures because we redacted them. And that's what uh, the church did with, with a lot of Paul's more radical themes and his theological progression. They redacted it. They cherry picked from Paul's writing. And this allowed the church to claim the authority of Paul without the complications that come with a radical message of grace and inclusion. And they, they didn't want to repeat the process of Acts 15 if they could help it. Now, I want to highlight something. Acts chapter 10 is where Peter first has a vision about Gentiles being clean. And by the time we get to Acts 15, Peter asserts that Gentiles got in as a result of believing his message by faith. But Acts chapter 10, and we're going to go there right now, And but Acts chapter 10 shows that they were clearly already clean, and they received the Holy Spirit before Peter had them do any type of a ritual. So let's just look at it. So where are we at? Chapter 10, Acts 10, 
uh, verse 15, and a, and a voice being Jesus spoke to Peter again the second time, saying, What God has cleansed, past tense, you must not call common. It was done three times, and then the object was taken back to heaven again. Notice this. The Wow, never thought about this before. The object, which was the table of all the food, came from heaven. Wow, think about that. The imagery is that it's already in heaven, and it came down, and he said, kill and eat. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. And he said, whatever I'm calling clean, don't call unclean. And then the table was taken back up to heaven. Wow. And the object was taken up into heaven again. That's interesting. Okay, so I'm going to drop down to verse 44. While Peter was still speaking, now he's all the way, he's uh, decided he's going to go with these Gentiles and he's going to go into their house. He's not supposed to because he's a Jew and he's and he's followed all the laws and he's, you know, remained cleansed and all that kind of stuff. It's unlawful for him to go in the house of a, of a Gentile. But he does because of the dream, because of the vision, whatever God is called clean, don't call unclean. And listen, remember, this guy already had a relationship with God because God's the one that gave him the dream in the first place to send his guys to go find Peter. Okay? And then all the way down, so now Peter's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to give him the message of the gospel. And before he even gets to the end, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. This wasn't part of their plan. The gen the, the, this was not part of the church's plan for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the Gentiles. Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, okay, so they're already... <laughs> They're already speaking in tongues. They're already baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter finally says, man, can anybody forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and then asked to stay a few more days. So Peter's got it backwards. Now, when it happened, they were already clean and then they were baptized in, uh, in the Holy Spirit. Then they receive the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. And then Peter's like, Peter's like, all right, guys, give me some water and let's baptize them quick before so that they can actually be saved. And God had already said, look, whatever I've called clean, don't call unclean. I'm telling you they're already clean. And God didn't need to wait. Think about this. God didn't need Peter to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Did he? God didn't need Peter to do that. God waited for Peter so that Peter would figure it out. God waited so that Peter and those of the circumcision would say, Oh, okay, well, I guess I guess they're in too. I guess it's not exclusive to us. This is the this is the takeaway. Now that's not the way that Peter looks at it. Remember, Peter unnecessarily baptized them after the fact. He didn't need to. And later on, we see Peter's freely eating with Gentiles until representative, this is like way down the road, right? Until representatives of Jerusalem show up and Peter reverts out of fear to the old religious tradition. And then Paul calls him out on it, right? He's like, hey, listen, man, you were, you were 
eating with the Gentiles until your buddies show up and now you want to act all holier than thou? Look, it's not like that. And you know that and shame on you for pretending that it's not that way. The influence of the Jerusalem institution is always to restrict. And it even impacted the top guys like Peter. So the the message of Paul is about freedom. Paul admonishes us to use this freedom productively, right? Not to abuse it. And yes, his writings do have references to God's wrath, but his writings are also filled with oppressive rules for women and rules on how to treat slaves. We know Paul didn't have it all right. Paul knew he didn't have it all right. The Jerusalem church operated the way that all institutions operate, through a hierarchy of authority based on a set of rules. And the rules are the authority that the leaders rely on in order to govern. And remember, they were intent on setting up an earthly kingdom. Paul was not. Now, this brings me to a very important thought. Let's review Acts chapter 15. We have been already, but let's do it a little bit more. Um, You know, Acts 15 is a resolution between Acts 10 and hundreds of years of adherence to the written authority. Acts chapter 10 and the reports of Saul, Paul, right, indicate, and this we're talking about in uh, Acts 15 here, where am I at? In the first parts of it, right, we're hearing about uh, everything that happened with Paul and Barnabas, and then what happened in Acts chapter 10. And it indicates that indeed, Gentiles are included in God's plan. Now, the traditional way that Gentiles were included as a part of Israel was to become circumcised and follow the law of Moses. The experience of Peter, Paul, and the Gentiles, all the Gentiles, indicated that circumcision was not necessary. And it was upsetting the authority of the written word. And those who held to it, specifically, there were uh, some of the Pharisees who did believe that Jesus was the Messiah, who were like, hey, listen, they were the ones that um, (laughs) were were most adamant that these people needed to be circumcised and follow the laws of Moses. And in Acts 15, James, the head of the Jerusalem church, judged that circumcision was not necessary. We saw that. And that was in verse uh, verse 19, 15, 19. Therefore, I, being James, judged that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, this is no less earth-shattering than the Pope including gays or approving of of abortion. I mean, this is a monumental decision. I mean, we're talking about, and and it's not not really looked at that way. Like, Acts chapter 15, verse 19, is a monumental decision in the history of the church. Because it completely disregards things. And no doubt not everyone agreed. I'm sure it caused factions or, or different, different denominations from the get-go. And really, this is where we stand today. Now, I've been doing this for a while now. And there's a common theme. I present a scripture showing that God's not angry. And the traditional uh, Christian counterpoints with, with a different scripture stating that God is most definitely ready to punish you eternally in the worst way unless you comply with the conditions to receive unconditional agape. (laughs) Right? I openly say, discard 
In this regard, Christ eschews scriptures and hold to the Christ-aligned scriptures that I've referenced, just like is happening right here. Wow. Verse, uh, chapter, Acts 15, 19 is a complete disregarding and dismissal of the written uh, prophets, uh, law and the prophets. It's a complete dismissal. And I'm following this example. And I say, hey, look, I openly tell you guys, you got to dismiss the things that are anti-Christ, the things that do not align with Christ, and hold on to the Christ-aligned scriptures that I've referenced. And the traditional Christian says, no, 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 no. We must adhere to the entire scripture, the whole scripture, while pointing to their particular passage. Meanwhile, they go against their own edict and ignore my scripture reference completely. Now, this is the number one reason that a traditional Christian should rethink their stance. Ignoring one's own edict is not an exercise in integrity, is it? Let's start by being honest, okay? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Traditional Christian, I'm, I'm talking to you right now. You ignore or minimize the scriptures that I bring to the forefront, yes? You disagree with me. Do you abide by them, yes or no? No. Of course not. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus forgive before he died on the cross? Yes or no? Of course, the answer is yes. You know that. You don't want to answer, but you know it's true. Did Jesus forgive before before people asked for forgiveness? Yes or no? Yes, he did. But it goes against your dogma, so you don't want to acknowledge that. Now, do you teach that Jesus forgives before you ask him? Yes or no? No, you don't. You teach that you've got to ask. Right? Am I right or am I wrong? And if you teach contrary to the scriptures that I reference, then you don't adhere to your own edict. You're saying we have to take in the whole scripture, but you ignore the one that I'm telling you. Now, let me pose a very critical question. If you are going to ignore or minimize any scriptures at all, should you ignore the scripture that gives a clear example of how God treats humanity? The example of Jesus in the earth. Should you minimize the example of Jesus? It's an important question. And the answer is, of course not. You are clinging to the wrong scriptures and You're throwing out the wrong scriptures. Justin, I'm not throwing out any scriptures. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I understand that this goes against what you've been taught. Listen, the people who taught you were clinging to the wrong scriptures. What did the early church do when the written word was in conflict with the living word? Acts chapter 15 shows us that they disregard the written word. And we, you and I, should do the same. When we come across a scripture that goes against the example of Christ, we should disregard it, redact it, scratch it out. Cling to the living word. You know, Jesus didn't hire a scribe as part of his team. He sent his team to the upper room. Why? 
You know why. Look, the, the average person couldn't even read anyway. There were no Bibles floating around back then. The printing press wasn't going to be invented for like 1,500 years. Jesus sent them to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide them internally. We should cling to the living word. Disregard the Christ-askew written words. This is the point of Paul's ministry. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul died and we stopped following Christ because we were following Paul. We stayed stuck at the end of Paul's journey. Remember, I've been saying that we're going to go as far as we can see. And when we get there, we'll be able to see a little bit further. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He went along the pattern. He went from one to three to five, seven, nine, dot, 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 right? And then Paul died. But we didn't continue the pattern. We didn't continue the example of Acts chapter 15. The institution gets its authority from what is written. Your institution as well. Israel and the law and the prophets. That's where the early church got its authority. And the early church was so busy looking up to set an earthly kingdom, they didn't bother to write down the gospel accounts until a whole generation grew up and Jesus still hadn't returned. So they wrote it down. In fact, let me just turn there. Luke chapter 1. I wasn't going to do this. I read it earlier and I, was, I wasn't going to do it. But it just seems very appropriate to do it. Luke, I'm going to go to my other Bible. My grandma gave me, not this particular one, but one exactly like it. And uh, the one that I had, I, I had it and, and somehow it got lost. And um, then I happened to find another one exactly the same. And this is the Life Application Study Bible, right? Oh, no, no. The, the Full Life Study Bible, New International Version. Um, somebody said, no, no, NIV is terrible. Stop it. Um, so, okay. Now I'm in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have, and this is Luke talking to his audience, right? Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Okay, so he's saying there's a lot of people that try to write this stuff down um, because it was given to us by those who were an eyewitness. Luke is saying he's not an eyewitness. Okay. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, so I did a lot of research. I did my research. I talked to, I interviewed people. I have my, uh, you know, I have my, where's my, I have my little audio recorder. I set it down. Okay, tell me what happened when this happened, right? And then he went back and he took his notes and he tried to compile everything together. He took the account of this person, that person, that person, that person, and he wrote it all down together. And he says, uh, Again, verse 3, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. So, he wrote all this down, and Luke is the one that wrote Acts too. So, that's interesting to 
it just, Luke is actually a continuation of the book. Uh, uh, no, pardon me. Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. Um, Luke is the gospel account, and then Acts is the continuation of what happened after Jesus ascended, as we've seen in Acts chapter 1. So, once they wrote it down, though, it took root and it supplemented the Old Covenant, what we have the Law and the Prophets, but it didn't just do that. It supplanted the intent of God leading people by His Spirit. And I know what you're thinking. We verify... This is what we've been taught. We verify the leading of the Holy Spirit by the written word of God. God won't go against his word. This is what I was taught, and I'm sure you were taught the same thing. God will never tell us to do anything that is opposed to what is in his word. But are you hearing what I'm saying? You are making the living spirit of God subject to the writings of a man. Luke. Not just one man, right? One guy wrote it, another guy copied it, another guy translated it, then another guy edited it. Then a group of guys later on decided if it should go in to the approved overall book, right? How many human filters has this gone through? And I just gave you a different filter. I have two different filters right here. You have countless filters filters. This is two different filters. Two different filters. This one is the New King James Version. It's not just the King James, it's the New King James. This one is the New International Version. Two different versions. Two different translations. <laughs> and now we have thousands of translations. We, again, we call them versions. And guess what? That's the same root word as, the, as diversion. And, and we're subjecting the Holy Spirit to the book? The early church found a way to dismiss the written word in favor of the living word. But their earthly kingdom focus was wrong and it tainted everything they wrote down. The entire context is setting up an earthly kingdom. When Jesus specifically said he wasn't doing that, he taught us to pray for those who oppose us. He said he had no interest in calling down fire, let alone throwing your soul into a, into a lake of fire for eternity. Right? We see glimpses of God in the writing. I think about John, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. And knows God. Messes with your theology, doesn't it? Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. There's no qualifier there. But we also see the Antichrist tears in the writing. But unto them who are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey you know, unrighteousness, they're going to get indignation and wrath. That's Romans. That's Paul says that. But where do we ever see Jesus being wrathful? It doesn't happen. Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek and then demonstrates the ultimate example of cheek turning by forgiving those who wrongfully crucified him. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm going to get myself in trouble. Whatever. I don't, hopefully YouTube isn't going to kick me off or whatever. But 
so I'll, I'll refrain from saying names, okay? But uh, evangelicals and much of the church is very, very attached to a, a, a certain political figure who is currently being indicted. Now, whether, whether okay, so first of all, I want to say that I am not making a commentary on whether or not somebody should or should not be indicted for things that happened uh, in recent years politically. But there is a person who has been indicted several times within the last few months. And this person is telling, is saying, look, I didn't do any of these things. These charges are uh, made up. These are fake charges, and they're doing it to thwart me again, and don't fall for it. And this person goes around and says, but look, they did it to me, and wait till it's my turn. So, <laughs> again, I'm not making a comment on whether or not uh, this person is being persecuted or wrongfully accused. That is not my point. My point is the reaction of this person. The reaction of this person is not exactly turn the other cheek, is it? This is much more an eye for an eye, and you're going to get your shot. When it's my turn, I'm going to finish the job. That's this person's mindset. It's patently not Christ. Right? The people in the, in the Bible, they didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God, nor did they confess him. But he forgave them anyway. This is grace by love, not grace by faith. Faith is a condition. I know this is difficult to grasp. We believe in a peace that passes all understanding. Does this not fit the description? This is a love that surpasses all understanding. That even in the midst of our sin sickness, Jesus forgave us before we even knew we did anything wrong. That surpasses my understanding. When we thought we were doing the right thing. Justin, I knew it. You're one of those false prophets that the Bible warns about. <laughs> I get it. You want to cling to all the written word by dismissing the examples that I present. <laughs> you don't want to cling to all the word. You just want to cling to the ones that you've been taught. You want to dismiss the ones that I'm telling you. To that I say this. If you don't believe the example of Jesus, you're condemned already. Not eternally, but in the here and now. You're going to live in fear, and God does not give us the spirit of fear. But you're going to cling to your fear of hell, because you'd rather be safe than sorry. You don't actually believe that God has forgiven you. You walk the line in an attempt to not anger God. God created humanity and declared us good. And God's mind has not changed. He sent Jesus to prove it. Our imperfect dogma dismissed the doctrines of Jesus. It is time that we revisit them and have the same courage as the early church to dismiss the authority of the written word when it is in conflict with the example of the living word. And here's how you start. I want you to see the original goodness in others. 
the way God sees the original goodness in you. That's it for today. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. And I don't have the song this week, but I will have it. Promise. Woo. Man, you could write this one down. Well, we dismissed what's written. So got to go by what I say. I'm promising you that I'm going to have it. Even if it's crappy, I'm going to put it out there. So now I put myself on the line. We'll see you next week. Thanks for watching. Dogmatically Imperfect with Justin Marson is a production of Original Goodness Media. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, there are a couple ways to do that. If you want to support us financially, you can go to the website, originalgoodness.media. The other way to support the show is to share it with others directly or by leaving a review. If you have thoughts or questions that you would like to share, please send an email to yabud at originalgoodness.media. That's Y-E-A-H-B-U-T at originalgoodness.media. Make sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast and social media platforms. Special thanks to The Real Night Terror for our theme music. See you next time.